0: If you go into those mega churches, if I stood there and says, you now that you've been set free, if you have to repent, you've been set free, you have to overcome sin, and you have do that by becoming a slave to God, the benefit then is you become holy, and you must be holy because that results in eternal life. They would say, get out of my church right now. Get out. Don't you come in teaching that doctrine in this church. Yet it's exactly what the scriptures say. And if I preach this, I tell you, even though it's in the scriptures, I still get a whole bunch of slander on the internet. People saying, that's legalism, that's legalism. I say, that's Christianity. You're not under the law, you're under grace. And that grace is Christ. Jesus Christ is our grace. So you're now under Jesus. So that's great. That means I can sin all I want. No, I'm never, I'm under grace. No, (laughs) that's not the... what what it's saying. It's saying you're now under a tougher judge than the law. As I said last week, in the law, you have to commit the act of murder to be a murderer. Under grace, under Jesus, even if you think hatred towards your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. Under the law, you have to commit the act of adultery to be an adulteress. Under grace, you just think adulterous thoughts you're an adulterer. We're under a tougher code. And this is the scary thing. Under Jesus Christ we're under a tougher code, more tough than the law. And we're telling people, don't be a legalist. If you preach holiness you're a legalist. You know, Christians they're under grace, man. They get any saved no matter what they do, they can't lose their salvation. Who's heard that? I fear for this 20th 21st century Christian especially, as you know, with cultural Christians raised in the Catholic Church or raised in the Orthodox Church, don't even know what's getting said behind the pulpit there. The Catholics do, but it's the same thing every week. You know, it's just it's just regurgitated and it doesn't do anything here. And people just don't even, it just sort of goes over their head. They're not even listening because no one's preaching by the Spirit. No one's reaching into hearts and, and exposing what God wants them wants to expose in their life, you know. Cultural Christians are in in danger of the fire of hell, according to Scripture, because they they claim to be Christian, but they don't live like Christians. And that's the problem, because Jesus is going to judge us. Every get this, every careless word. bibles to romans 6 20 who's been enjoying this um, survey through romans have you been getting a lot out of it i think it's and as i've said in previous weeks i think it's the most important ser- uh, sermon series i've ever done it gets to it's getting to the bottom of a very controversial issue and it, actually it's not controversial for most It's controversial for me and others like me that read the scriptures daily and can't see the teachings that are getting taught in the scriptures. And you will see very clearly after this sermon today why I'm so passionate about discoursing on this subject and making it clear for Christians so that, um, you know, when someone reads through the book of Romans, it doesn't do their head in. They don't get confused because the book of Romans is known as a fairly challenging book. Who knows that? Um. I don't see it as a very challenging book as in uh, theologically. I see it as very, very cut and dry, very, very clear. It it was written by Paul in a way to make it stand out, jump out off the page and make it so clear. The reason why most people have trouble with Romans and uh, even Corinthians and so on is because what they're hearing at the pulpit from the pulpit in most churches is not what they read in here. So when they read it, they go, well, I mustn't understand it because it doesn't align with what I'm getting taught. Does that make sense? So I'm going to read you straight off the page and we're going to you'll be able to see very clearly by the end of this sermon, just uh, as you've seen with these past sermons, just what I'm getting to and how clear it is. So let's have a look. Romans 6.20 and it says, When you were slaves to sin... So what Paul's talking to is people who were non-Christian at one stage. They were slaves to sin. It says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from control of righteousness. So righteousness had no control over you. You could sin, you could do what you want, you could live this way, you could live that way. Righteousness could not control you. You might do some righteous things along the way, but you weren't completely governed by righteousness. Do you know what I'm saying? Or what Paul's saying? When you were slaves of sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit, so the question goes to those that um, are Christian but from their previous life, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Who looks back on some of their former life and is ashamed of the things that they've been in? Who looks back on some of your former Christianity and is ashamed? You know, and, and me too. And that's because of the watered down teaching. The reason why Christians in the early part of their life never got transformation, were never changed, never became like Christ is because they didn't get the teaching. And when you do give the teaching, what it does is it grows small churches in this day and age, unfortunately. But I don't care. I'm just going to keep on preaching what the scriptures say. So what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death but now but now so he's talking about their their current life but now that you have been set free from sin how do you get free from sin through repentance you must repent you must repent that means you must ask god firstly to forgive you of all your things that you've done all your past sins you then got to get washed in the blood of jesus meaning that they've been washed away you've been forgiven so now that you have been set free from sin and this is what I always say, you're free, from, you're free from sin, you're not free to sin. Grace is not free being free to sin and not have to worry about consequences. You're free from it. You've overcome it. You're above it now. So if we're not above it, then that condition hasn't been met. And this is what I pointed out in the last sermon on this, um, which was two weeks ago. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, So how do we get free from sin and stay free from sin? We must become, say it with me, slaves to God. We must become slaves to God. Now am I saying this or is Paul saying this? Paul. So I'm only preaching what's in the scriptures. If it offends you, take it up with Paul, or at least with God. You know, Take it up with the book of Romans. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God... The benefit of being a slave to God is that you will, it will lead or reap holiness. You'll become holy. You'll become a holy Christian. Isn't that what Christians are supposed to be? Who's ever heard of a sinful Christian? Is that, that's an oxymoron. Or it should be. Who's ever heard of a Christian steeped in sin? Again, an oxymoron. It should not be, but it's commonplace today. You know what they call it now? Now? a Christian that lives in the world? They call them pagan Christians. It's like, come on, there's no such thing. You're either a pagan or you're a Christian. You can't be one or the other. And we can't drift through the week either. We can't be a pagan one day and a Christian the next day and a pagan the next day and a Christian the next day. It's got to be a total life transformation. So, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result of all that is everlasting life, eternal life. That's the result. So how do you get everlasting life? Put up your hand and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Is that it? I said that to indicate a point. That's what's getting taught. You want Jesus in your life? Put up your hand and he'll he'll receive you. And you receive him. End of story. They don't go and add, but once uh, you put up your hand to receive Jesus, then You've got to repent or at that moment it should be you come to him on your knees. You come to him with repentant heart and what that will do is it will set you free from sin so that sin has no power over you anymore and from that time on you're a slave to God and what that leads to is holiness and the result is you are then saved. So if someone's a Christian who's not holy, is not walking around living a holy life, they're just, you know, doing all the things that they shouldn't be doing, you can just about judge by that fruit that they're more than likely not saved. They're more than likely have never come in, had an encounter with Jesus Christ that's changed them and turned them into a new creature, that they've become a true Christian. Does that make sense? Become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. That's the result. You don't get eternal life just with, by saying, you've put up your hand, you've got eternal life. That's not how the gospel was ever preached. That's the 20th, 21st century gospel, watered-down, megachurch-building message gospel. But it's not what the early disciples preached because that's not what it says here on the page. If you go into those mega churches, if I stood there and says, you, now that you've been set free, if you have to repent, you've been set free, you have to overcome sin and you do that by becoming a slave to God, the benefit then is you become holy and you must be holy because that results in eternal life. They would say, get out of my church right now. Get out. Don't you come in teaching that doctrine in this church. Yet it's exactly what the scriptures say. And if I preach this, I tell you, even though it's in the scriptures, I still get a whole bunch of slander on the internet. People saying that's legalism. That's legalism. No, I say that's Christianity. So we want to go deep into this um, because I don't want to just say this from the pulpit, convince you, and then you go around saying it. I want you guys to know exactly what you believe, and that's why. How do you do that? You do a survey of the whole new testament and you bring it all to light so let's look at uh, romans 7 next next uh, book along or chapter along do you not know brothers for i am speaking to men who know the law so who's he speaking to jews who know the law they understand the law and the requirements and the regulations that the law has authority over a man as long as he lives is that true it does the law has authority over us as long as we live on this earth. It really does. Like Spiritually speaking, we, as we've found out, we're not under the law. We're under grace. And what that means is we're under Christ. And I'm going to show you that in Scripture coming up here. But, and Paul uses an example. For example, by law a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. That's an obvious, isn't it? That's understandable. If they're together and they're married, one partner dies. It can be either partner dies. You are no longer under that marriage. You're no longer bound to that marriage because the person no longer lives because you have to be alive. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. So if she's with her husband and there's no marital unfaithfulness, but that woman goes and marries another man, that's adultery. But if her husband dies... She is released from that law and is not an adulteress even though she marries another man. Okay, so that's obvious. Makes sense. So, my brothers, this is important. You also died to the law through the body of Christ. You died to the law. So when you accepted Jesus, it created or caused death in you. Well, it should have. And this is the point. It should have caused death in you to the sin nature. So it says, read again. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Who's that? Jesus Christ. So you're not under the law. You're under Christ. You're not under the law. You're under grace. And that grace is Christ. Jesus Christ is our grace. So you're now under Jesus. So that's great. That means I can sin all I want. No, I'm, never, I'm under grace. No, <laughs> that's not the, what, what it's saying. It's saying you're now under a tougher judge than the law. As I said last week, in the law, if you if you, um, commit, you have to commit the act of murder to be a murderer. Under grace, under Jesus, even if you think... Hatred towards your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. Under the law, you have to commit the act of adultery to be an adulteress. Under grace, you just think adulterous thoughts, you're an adulterer. We're under a tougher code. And this is the scary thing. Under Jesus Christ, we're under a tougher code, more tough than the law. And we're telling people, don't be a legalist. If you preach holiness, you're a legalist. You know, Christians, they're under grace, man. They're getting saved. No matter what they do, they can't lose their salvation. Who's heard that? I fear for this twentieth, 21st century Christian, especially, as you know, with cultural Christians raised in the Catholic Church or raised in the Orthodox Church, don't even know what's getting said behind the pulpit there. The Catholics do, but it's the same thing every week. You know, it's just... It's just regurgitated and it doesn't do anything here. And people just don't even... It just sort of goes over their head. They're not even listening. Because no one's preaching by the Spirit. No one's reaching into hearts and, and exposing what God wants, them, wants to expose in their life. You know, cultural Christians are in, in danger of the fire of hell, according to Scripture. Because they, they claim to be Christian, but they don't live like Christians. And that's the problem because Jesus is going to judge us every, get this, every careless word. That's tough. He's going to judge us for every careless word that we speak. That's scary. Who said some careless words in their life? Tame the tongue. Tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. And I know what that's like. You know, this thing is evil. And so we've got to tame our tongue. We've got to tame it and be careful what comes out. You know, fresh water can't come up from salty spring. Salt, salt water will not come up from a fresh water spring. You know what I mean? If, if our mouths are cursing and swearing and all this stuff coming out of our mouths, like we sound like pagans, let that be a, a warning call. We've got to clean our life up so that only pure, holy words come out of our mouth. You think about it. Could I speak like this to Jesus? If you can't, then don't say it to anyone. You know? So, my brothers, I want to read that again. Let's get this into our hearts. So, my brothers, you also died to the law. This is verse 4. Through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. So we might belong to. We belong to him. Remember that. He paid for us he bought us with a price we are his if we if we say jesus i I give you my life you give him your life you don't take it back for the week and give it to him on sunday morning then take it back for the week and do whatever you want you're his actually paul said you know um i i've crucified myself he crucifies himself every day i've been crucified with christ and i no longer live that he doesn't doesn't have a life of his own anymore. It's it's Jesus' life, and people say, "Oh, that's not nice. Someone else owns me." I tell you what: if you live for Christ, it's the best life you can possibly live in this world. Amen. This world is hopeless, as I said in that before about you know some people that we know who have just. Just their lives have been rack, uh, ruined by the culture, the modern culture. And they're seeing it. They can see how it destroyed their life and the life of their children has become according to the modern culture. Veena and I know what it's like. We see how the modern culture has this power to influence and pull people from faith, pull people from wanting to hear the word of God. That a, that a one hour or a half an hour in, a, in a, hearing a sermon is just... Oh man, that's just heavy to sit there and listen to that for half an hour, three quarters of an hour. I'd rather go off and just get on YouTube, you know, see what all the latest funny downloads are and laugh. But we, so we've we've misunderstood um, the importance of what we put ourselves into, what we commit to. At the moment, there's a huge move ar- across, especially I know in South Australia, of Christians who do not no, any longer go to church. They just don't go any any longer. So many, do you know? Many Christians we've had visited us in the last year to a year and a half. Andy will testify. Most of them, a good portion of them, have said um, when they come in that they haven't been to church in months, and or they'll say things like, you know, this is the, you're the twentieth church we've vis- that I've visited or we've visited. You know, they just serial hoppers of churches go from church to church to church, and they they never. S- you know stop anywhere or they find a fence very very quickly and decide no i'm not going to go rob's preaching about holiness i'm not holy and therefore he's challenging my christianity i don't want any part of it so it's tough we're living in an age 20 30 years ago this church would be full amen elizabeth said like back when she was young all the churches preach like this all of them not to say they're all perfectly doctrinally correct, but they had a powerful message. They preached against pagan ways, living worldly, in a worldly way. Today, very few, very few preach it. And it's so important because, and this is the, this is the point why I emphasize it so much, our salvation is in jeopardy if we don't get this element of our Christianity correct. Don't let any of these watered-down gospel preachers teach anything else. They tickle your ears, they itch your ears, but they, and that's all that they're doing. They're not actually giving you true salvation because the word's very, very clear. Let's have a look again. I want to I keep going back to it so you see it. So my brothers, back to verse 4, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God so that we would bear fruit, so that we would become fruit-bearing Christians. What What is fruit-bearing Christians? Christians that pray and they pray incredible things into existence. Christians that um, know the Scriptures, that can preach the Scriptures to people and, and, and help them to find Christ. Christians that can lead people to Jesus Christ because their prayer life and their spoken life go hand in hand and there's power in them to convert souls because the Holy Spirit is so active in their life. And we've got to get the Holy Spirit active to such an extent that we have a very strong influence on people to get them saved. Not because we want to influence them to do something that they um, don't necessarily want to do, but we want to influence them to find Jesus. Amen. So we need the Spirit. We need the Spirit of God to do this. And then it says here, for when, this is verse 5, for when we were controlled by the sinful nature. See, that should have been past tense. It should be past tense for Christians. When we were controlled by the sinful nature. Not when we are controlled now. So when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law, because if you're under the law, the sinful nature and this is another indication too you know you when you're under the law you can say to the christians the christians say to you i'm not under the law and say to them do you still sin all the time and if they say yes say well sorry you are under the law because it says here the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit to death but now listen to this by dying to what once bound us we have been released from the law so if you die to that which has bound you you get released from the law you're now under grace the problem is if you are still bound if you're still bound by sinful you know addictions you're still under the law you haven't been released from the law it still has control over you so by dying to once uh, what once bound us we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit so we serve in the spirit and not in the old way of the written code so you're not if you're under the law you will be you know you will know and be aware of sin and it's operating in your life and you know you're doing it and it's sort of like it's constantly this struggle that you never seem to overcome but if you truly repent if you truly lay your life down and you die to that old sinful nature and you accept Jesus Christ to do this new thing in you and you start to pray, because I tell you what, you cannot live in the Spirit and not pray. You can't live according to the Spirit and not pray. I noticed I get the most temptation hits me when I'm least prayed. But if I get up and I pray adequately and then I pray at night adequately, and I live a, a life thinking and concerned for jesus all day long i can stay very very strongly over in that overcoming state and that's why paul says i die daily and i mean that brothers what he means is he wakes up in the morning he dies he dies to that old way and he starts to live for christ that day and he will live in the spirit and he'll call the spirit into his life constantly to stay in that righteous state so who knows to live a christian life is tough especially in this this century where things are thrown at us constantly we're bombarded with corruption and that's what we're getting we're getting corrupted constantly constant constant corruption so to stay above it you've got to pray you know if christians in you know 100 200 years ago with the amount of corruption that they were getting bombarded we've had to pray two three hours a day what do we have to pray when we're bombarded 24 7 you know that's why most of the time we just don't turn the tv on in our home because i know them i just have to sit in front of the tv flick through the stations for five minutes and i feel filthy i don't know about you but it seems tends to make me feel that way these days it's like oh man what did i do this for you know so we're we're in a tough situation as christians but you know what We're also in the most exciting point in history because never have we been this close to the return of Christ. Never have the signs of what is taking place um, been so evident that the return of Christ is near, you know, and as the scriptures say, even right at the door. And it could be closer than we think, you know. And as I've said before, we know that from Revelation 13 that um, before the return of Christ, there will be a mark of the beast system will be introduced. Now, the technology for that is already sitting in all of our stores. PayWave. PayWave technology is set up so that one day at the opportune time when when everyone's in the right position, there's a window, and they'll go, okay, Mark, everybody who wants to buy and sell must receive a mark. They'll give it to you free for a little time. They'll say, you know, don't you think getting a mark on your wrist uh, rather than having credit cards which people can pay wave and take up to a hundred dollars anytime they want if they steal it off you. Don't you think it's better if you get a chip and you just do this and only you can use it? And you know, the the potential is from statistics of people who've done studies on this that uh, up to 50% of the population will go, yeah, mate, no more wallet. Beautiful, mark me. Then there'll be 50% of the population that are gonna not want to do it. Now a good portion of them will be Christian but a good portion will be just people that don't want their privacy you know, destroyed and they, they don't want to do it. So there'll be another 50% that'll be in that position. But the, what my point is, is that technology is available now. In 2,000 years, Revelation 13 has never been close to being completed. In 2,000 years, suddenly we're at a moment in history where it's sitting there ready that's scary, guys. That's scary. So my point my thing to you is is pray. get into some serious prayer. Join us at our prayer meetings. Join us at our prayer meetings. We need you there. You know, I, I'm, I was praying with, with um, Vina and Elizabeth the other day and, and I said, "I'll know when the church is about to go into revival because everyone in the church will be at the prayer meeting. In the past, um, I've read some incredible accounts. There's one pastor said he's pastored three churches in his sixty years of ministry, and every church he had a revival in every single one, and they all those revivals occurred as a result of the congregations entering into a covenant agreement with God that they would pray until the revival came. So every church that he had in in sixty years of ministry had a revival. And it was the result of the congregation, not the pastor. It's the result of the congregation realizing that we are part of this, as members of this church, we've got to hold this church up. We've got to lift it up. And I, I tell you that lately I've, I've, been feeling, um, I've been feeling the power that Satan has to destroy this church is getting stronger and stronger by the week. And, and we need your prayers. We really need your prayers in our church. We do. We're desperate. This church is going to, it will dwindle because Satan, as long as we don't hold up as a, and, and we stand side by side in prayer and resist the forces of darkness as believers, the church will continue to be battered. At the moment, um, as, a, as a church, like, and, and it's always like this the, they say the prayer ministry of any church is the engine room of the church. So if you want a powerful, Um, church you've got to have a powerful prayer ministry the church must be behind it and at the moment you know like this week for our church as in a corporately there was three of us holding up shields of faith three of us for the church turnout even though we're praying with and we believe that god's going to do something the turnout today is very small you know and there's there's a lot of people that have come and and they've said yes this is the church I want to be in and this is where, but they've they they can not commit as in they'll come one week they won't come for two. So our job is then, let's pray guys, let's pray and let's believe and then go home after that prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. You'll go home and you'll continue to pray for the rest of the week and let's pray and believe that those people can get committed and that that the word can spread and that people can come here and get truly saved and the Christians that come here get truly converted and we become powerful Christians, powerful life influencing Christians, people that In the future, when you get to heaven, that people will come up to you when you're in heaven and they'll say, thank you, thank you, Anthony. Because if it wasn't for you and the the way you walked in the spirit and the way God moved in you, that he moved you to say these things to me at that certain time in my life, it changed me and I got saved as a result of you being obedient to Jesus Christ. You want people to come up to you in heaven and say that, don't you? You want people to come up to you in the droves. Wouldn't it be great to get to heaven? And thousands of Christians appear before you and they embrace you and pull you to themselves and they say, thank you. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? We need this, guys, because it's, it's, um, it's sort of getting to a point where uh, if this church is to move forward, we must commit we must commit as a ch- and, and get, along on, on, get along to the prayer meetings and make this thing happen. Because if you don't think that the prayer meeting is worth getting along to, that means that you've got to a point in your Christianity where you no longer have faith that prayer can do things. That's what's happened. If you don't think you need to be at a Wednesday night prayer meeting, it's because you no longer have faith in prayer. And faith that what you go and do as a part of this church can actually cause God to pour out a blessing. Does that make sense? That's the only reason I ever stopped going to prayer meetings is I thought, Phew. I'm speaking, I'm speaking, I'm waffling, I'm waffling on in prayer and I'm there every week and nothing's happening so give up on it, forget it. It's not working. Let's try some other means. But that's not how it works. You know, we could promote the life out of this church. Big campaigns, you know, get an advert on Life FM, get along to, you know, Blessed Hope Chapel, Sunday mornings. We could do all that. We could man promote. We could make the thing happen. And we could get people walking in those doors. And the moment I preach, they'll walk straight out again because they're not coming to hear the true word of God. They're hoping we're going to be some entertainment, happy, clappy church. But the moment the truth of it is, oh, hang on. So we've got to die to sin. And what does it say there? The benefit, uh, we become slaves to God. Oh, I don't like that word slaves. What's Rob saying? Slaves? I'm no slave. I'm a son of God. I'm an adopted son of God. I'm not a slave. They, and they get their nose out of joint. And then I'll say, and the benefit you reap leads to holiness. Holiness? Oh, I see one of those legalistic teachers. But I'm reading scripture and they're, that's how their mind works and you know why i know this that's how my mind used to work that's exactly how my mind used to work because of the ministries that i sat under i sat under a lot of different vena and i sat on a lot of different pastors and we heard it all every weekend andy's sat under how many numerous it's how your mind gets works is not it it starts to work that way stephen you would have been under that same teaching and your mind operates that way you start to think this guy's preaching holiness that's he's he's a works salvation orientated preacher that he's preaching works and so what what happens is all those cuz that where where Paul talks about that about works um and, and being under grace and all that that that's if you just take that on its own you can teach all sorts of crazy doctrines off it but if you and you know what if you don't know the scripture I'm talking about let me read it to you so I'm not leading you astray here it says this for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast all right so that scripture that's their pet scripture just that one that's all they teach they won't read through romans like i'm doing and get out all the other stuff that pertains to that what paul says is it's not by works it's by grace. What he's saying is the moment you accept Jesus Christ into your life, it's you get saved, but not because of anything you've done. It's because of what he's done. Amen? That's what it says in Ephesians. I just read from Ephesians 2 verse 8. So you get saved by what Jesus Christ did on the cross and it's got nothing to do with your works. But from that moment, is that it? Does that mean there is no more works required? Is that it? No works. So after that, you don't perform works. Or you're, and you're not going to get saved by them, so whether you do them or not doesn't matter. Is that what it's saying? That's not what it's saying. That's just saying your initial salvation. You get into heaven, you can't boast. Because when you get to heaven, only boast in Jesus Christ for what he did for you. You know? like we, we talked about with Elizabeth's healing, all we did was be obedient and prayed. You know, where it says, you know, if, you, if someone is sick among you, get the elders of the church to gather around and they'll pray and the prayer offered with faith will make the sick person well. So we just be, were obedient to that. No power of my own. The power came through obedience. And that's the key. And then we, we get this incredible testimony. So, come back to Romans with me. Faith without works is dead. Yes, yeah. Um, it's true. All right, so let's keep on going. By dying what once bound us, we have been... All right, so let's go back to verse 6. But now, by dying to once, uh, what once bound us, we have been released from the law. So how do you get released from the law? How do you get released from the sin nature? You must die to what once bound us. So to, to be released from the law, you must die to sin. Sin must no longer have any grip on you. We have been released from the... Sorry, I'll say that again. But now, by dying to once what bound uh, to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So how do we serve now? We serve in the Spirit. We don't serve uh, in our own effort. It must be according to the Spirit. And that's my emphasis before about walking in the Spirit and having a life of prayer. We must have, this, the Spirit must be operating us. We must have a life of prayer for the Spirit to operate in us. Who knows that? Who, who lives a life in the Spirit? Who lives a life in the Spirit? Now, if you're not putting up your hand, it's usually because you don't feel that you're connected. And why don't you feel connected? Because you're not in prayer. As you should be. As you should be. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the key to walking in the Spirit, fulfilling the Spirit's desires, obeying God and... Doing his will. Isn't it? And I'll go on that again, and many of you here would have heard this before. Let's go to Matthew. Keep your finger in Romans, though. Don't lose Romans. Matthew 7, and I want to go to verse 21. It's my. I go here constantly because. It is probably one of the most pertinent scriptures in all of the New Testament. And what does Matthew say? Sorry, Jesus say in Matthew. Matthew wrote it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So not everyone who says Lord, Lord answers in, but only he who does the will. So is, that, is the will, doing the will of the Lord, is that works? Could you call it works? James says faith without works is dead. So is it works? There is works. It is a work to do the will. And I'll tell you what I mean by works because we have this misconception of what working is. Would you say that it would be hard work to pray for eight hours straight? Yeah. Who's tried to pray for one hour? Is that tough sometimes? Yeah. It's not easy. Actually, I would I'd rather spend one hour working out with weights than I would spend one hour as in ease of being able to do it. I can get through an hour session in the gym, no problem. Give me an hour of prayer and I have to really work. So is doing the will of the Lord works? Absolutely. So it's not by... Um, you don't get saved by doing works because that's all done by Jesus Christ. So when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and get saved, it wasn't because you did anything particularly good. But from that moment forward, all of Scripture tells us that we must live a holy life. We must become slaves to God. We must do his will to receive eternal life. And it's over and over again. I've got tons and tons and tons of scripture to support it to the point where I can say it confidently. (laughs) It's nice to be able to say it confidently. And uh, I want to keep on going back in Romans, if you can. Romans 7. I'm going to go to verse 7. I'm going to try to get through this to finish, through the rest of Romans 7. There's a bit of reading here, but I'm going to, hopefully I'll see how I go. More than likely I won't. But what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, the law itself isn't a sin. Is money evil? No, money is not evil. The love of money is evil. Money can be a real blessing. You know, you can bless people with money. Money is not evil in itself. It's actually got no emotion. It's just a piece of paper or it's a concept. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So what should we say then? Is the law sin? No, law is not sin. It's, it's a list of commandments. Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. So what, law, what the law comes along and makes us um, understand is what is sin? The law helps us to see what is sin. For I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. So if you know, you know, um, do not commit adultery. The moment you read that, what he's saying is it, it will lead to adulterous actions. Or more, you recognize when it's being committed. And when Jesus says, don't even commit it in your mind, with your eyes, now we <laughs> you know, it's getting heavier, isn't it? It's getting even heavier. So, once I was alive, this is verse 9, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. So the moment he understood the law, sin sprang to life and he died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. What he means is if he continued in that, it brought eternal death. That sin, he's now dead in sin. Not dead to sin, he's dead in sin. There's a difference. If you're dead in sin, you're you're a transgressor. You need Jesus Christ to give you life, everlasting. But as long as you don't turn to Jesus, you're dead in sin. But we've got to become dead to sin. So for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and it is, and the commandment is holy, absolutely, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that might sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So the good of the law caused death in him, made him recognize who he was. He's a sinner. I'm corrupt to the core. There's no good in me. So that through the commandments, sin might become utterly sinful. So that's what That's what God wanted to establish with the law. Sin is utterly sinful. So bad, in fact, that Jesus had to come and die on a cross so that we could be redeemed from sin. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Now, what what I'm about to read here, a lot of Christians quote it as if to identify with Paul as in, in a Christian state. Right. So as a Christian, if you read this and think it applies to you, it doesn't. What this coming text applies to is if you're not a, if you're not a Christian or if it's happening to you as a Christian, then you're bound under the law. You're, no, you're not under the Spirit. So let's read it. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. So he's saying it's the sin that's in his flesh is doing it. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. There's no good thing in our sinful nature. That's why we must cut it off and be dead to it. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do uh, is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, <laughs> this always gets me this one. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Who caught all that? Yep. You have to read that a few times to really get it in your head because it's a bit of a tongue twister. And then he says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me for in my inner being I delight in God's law see he's remember he's talking as a pre-christian in my inner being I delight in God's law I honor it. it is holy but I see another law at work in my members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin which is at work within my members and then he says what a wretched man I am in your sinful state, you are wretched. Who will rescue me from this body of death? So he's asking the question, who's going to rescue me from this? I'm in a dilemma. I can't do good. There's no good in me. My, my, sin, my, my uh, pagan ways are too strong. Who's going to rescue me? And who does he give the, ans- um, the, the answer to that question? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He came to rescue us from that. So a Christian can't ident- shouldn't be able to identify in the spiritual sense to that statement. It's the, that's an example of the, the type of bondage we've been under as a non-Christian. But I've actually lived the Christian life where I've identified with it. And it's actually made me feel not so bad about sinning as a Christian. Has anyone had that, has that ever affected you that way? Yeah? It shouldn't, but we read it and we go, oh yeah, well Paul dealt with the same things I'm dealing with. It's not so bad. I can't control my sin nature. That's not so bad because Paul couldn't either. And he's a wretched man. Now I'm a wretched man. They say that. But that's not what it's intended for. That's, it's, a, it's a point It's, an, it's for us to um, see the, the dilemma we were in before Christ came into our life. And then he says this, so then, This is the continuing of verse 25. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So what he's saying here, in his mind he's a slave to God's law, and in the sinful nature he's a slave to sin. Again, still he needs Jesus Christ to break him free, so that he's not a slave to God's law, but he's a slave to Christ. And not just in his mind, but in his spirit that his spirit be handed over and he becomes completely uh, born again and a new creature under Christ. Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and read the King James there if you're reading the King James, Elizabeth. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. My little thing down here it says in... Um, who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. So there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus who do not live according to the sin nature but who live according to the Spirit. So if you live according to the sin nature, there is condemnation. If you live according to the Spirit, there's no condemnation. So is this important? They've left this out of a lot of modern translations. And that's a worrying sign because a lot of preachers will preach that as if to prove you don't... um, There's no condemnation, full stop. If you're under Christ, if you've confessed faith in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. End of story. But it says for those who live according to the spirit, not according to the sin nature. And then go to verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So that the... Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit... See, that's what we're going to be under. The law of the Spirit of life set me free. We've been set free by the law of the Spirit because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free from sin and death. But if sin is still prevalent in your life, you're you're not set free. You must be set free, and the only way to set free is by the Spirit. And as I come back, and it all keeps coming around, that means we've. It, evidence of that is that we're walking in the Spirit by a life of prayer. If our life is not filled with prayer, we haven't died to ourself. What I mean is this. When you die to yourself, you, not, you realize that I'm not owned. I don't own myself. I'm owned by Jesus Christ. That means when you wake up in the morning, who should get your first port of... Attention or first, Jesus Christ should get your attention. You should be giving yourself to Him. Other things shouldn't take precedence. Even our work should not take precedence over Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ should be first place. And as I've said many times, you you won't realize that in the fullness until you're standing before judgment and you're standing at the judgment seat of Christ. And it says it's destined for man to die once and after that to face judgment. So you die, you've lived your life, you get before Jesus Christ and he holds you to account. And it's not until then that you'll wish that you could come back and live your life over and get it right. And if you could possibly do that, you'd come back and you would pray all day, every day. And you would live this life, according to scripture, perfectly. Who knows they would? But what you need to keep reminding yourself, because you know what, you can hear this message and you've heard, this is the sixth, actually I think it's part seven, by the way. But you've heard this message um, seven weeks in a row nearly and we can, harden, we can still get hardened to it we can still go oh yeah yeah I wish he brought up a different topic this week but you know why I didn't bring up a different topic is because I and I, I will have a different topic next week just to hopefully so if you're planning to not come back to hear another one of these sermons come back next week for a different topic um, I, had, I have to get this through But if you're hardening your heart to it, I want you not to. I want you to start opening up to it, saying, Lord, do something in me. Let there be some fruit in my life. Let my prayer life take such a grip on me that I start to change and get transformed and I become all that you've called me to be. Because we can put our work first. We can put our relationships first. We can put everything else, entertainment first. And God is last place. You know, I know in in my own family and and, and people we know that every day of the week they'll get up to work and they'll be up early and they'll get to work and they'll do their job and and so on. When it comes to getting to church on Sunday, oh, but that's my sleeping day. You know, I have a big Saturday night. And I even say to some of them, you know, well, what about if if you had to work tomorrow morning and you had to be there at 7 o'clock? Would you go out until 4 o'clock? Saturday night? No, of course they wouldn't. So there's this downgrading of our priorities that God is getting squashed further and further down. Amen. Who's who's getting impacted by this at the moment? I'm I'm hoping it's getting through, but um, I won't read any more because you guys are going to go, and I'm sure Bill has. We got we got Greek Easter today. Lord, thank you for this time now. And Lord, I just pray that you would um, help every one of us here to um, just to make some changes in in our lives. That we would all make changes and would correct anything in our life that is uh, going in the wrong direction. Things that uh, ways in which we live, which we know that you're calling us to more. I pray that you reveal to us what we have to do, so that we uh, will live according to your will. That we don't fight what you want to do in this place and and, and among us and in ourselves as christians but that we will um, yield to the spirit and that we'll um flow in the spirit and and see some incredible things take place lord give us faith to believe that when we pray that you hear us and that we'll see the things come to pass lord increase our faith i pray increase increase our faith to believe that we could live the christian life the way you intended us to live it and uh I pray that you help us this week. Bless everyone this week. Cover them in your precious blood and look after them. I just pray for Con and Artemis as they go to their fish shop, Lord. um, Just give them a wonderful, wonderful day. May they just get an incredible amount of orders and may may it go really, really well for them. And uh, just help them out financially in every way. Amen. Amen. Amen.